So DJ, thanks so much for joining us today on the Rubin Special. I'm Josh Rubin here in New York with Douglas Elliman. We have my good friend DJ Della Sala from St. Augustine, Florida with Ancient City Real Estate. DJ and his wife, Lindsay, uh, started their own firm a few years back. Uh, DJ, tell us a little bit about, about your shop and uh, your focus, average sales price, et cetera. All right. Thanks for having me, Josh. Uh, so been in the business since 2006. Uh, met Lindsay in 2012. In 2013, her and I decided to start our own boutique brokerage and Ancient City Real Estate was formed. Nice. So we tried to go down the traditional path and then a few a few years later went to a Tom Ferry event and uh, quickly learned that, hey, we want to do the team model. So right. 2016, we hired our first team agent and have uh, been building that more as more of a focus over the past several years. Uh, so last year we... Last year we closed 460. This year we're pacing for about 750. Uh, average price point is two hundred eighty thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, so having to do a lot of transactions to get to that to the volume, but uh, should crack a, a little over two hundred million this year. Wow! Awesome. I mean, that's that's an amazing number of transactions. Uh, tell us a little bit about your your systems and what you have in place because that's a lot of volume for a team your size. Yeah. So. Um, so as far as, you know, we are working a lot with buyers here and, you know, very much online focused on lead generation. And so every day we're, we're focused on getting new opportunities and uh, working old opportunities and just dedicated prospecting hours that, you know, from nine to 11 that we, you know, have always started this team and, and, and just stayed with that. I know some people, We'll, we'll stick with it for a little bit, but we've just been steady and steady and steady on, on what works and the prospecting, time blocking, showing properties, continuing to have the opportunities flowing in um, has just been 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 incredible. So um, just just been focused on that, on doing what works. I think uh, we've found in a buyer, you know, it's been a it's kind of like a seller's market, but if you can get the buyers that are moving to Florida, because we live, you know, I have an office in Jacksonville and St. Augustine. So we cover about a hundred miles north, north and south. And as you know, people are moving to Florida every single day and lots of them. So we just focus on those people coming from, from local, from out of state. And it's, it's just really worked well for our niche. Sure. So are you finding that most of your buyers are second home owners? Not necessarily. I would say about 10 to 15% are secondary home. You know, it's people that are coming down that are retiring here and actually staying here. Uh, and then I would say another 30 to 40% are first time home buyers. And then everywhere in between, we have a, uh, you know, a, a, a good industry. We have a tourism industry, which supports a lot of things here in St. Augustine, but a, a big IT uh, banking up in Jacksonville. And then we also have two bases up there for military. So we have a, a lot of influx of people constantly moving here. Got it. And what are you seeing as far as investors in, in this market in particular? I mean, is there an influx? Has that uh, activity sort of quieted down over the last couple of months? Well, as you know, investors are popping up everywhere. Now, um, the vetted <laughs> Now the, the the investors that have been in the market here for a long time have have stayed in the market, but just so many people with with the you know prior to COVID the, with the economy we were having has definitely you know raised property values and um, here quite substantially as if as 
it has everywhere in the United States. But um, so as far as the flipping market hasn't been really much here, but as far as like long-term investments and uh, short-term rentals here being on a beach town have, have definitely been pretty positive. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you brought up the idea of, of COVID and obviously that's impacting all of us. Uh, Florida is one of the states, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that has recently started to reopen. Is that right? Um, so last week, Jacksonville and uh, St. John's County, we reopened our beaches on limited time frames. Uh, we're expecting an announcement today from our governor and we ex the expectation is to I think fall in line into phase one with what Georgia and South Carolina are doing as far as, you know, getting some essential businesses going and things like that. Uh, because tourism such a, obviously a huge part in Florida, uh, we're taking, we're taking quite a beating right now. So as is everybody, but it's, it's been pretty tough here. And a lot of friends in, that own restaurants and, and just depend on it a lot and, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been, uh, challenging on, on all of us, but particularly here in New York, um, you know, they're saying uh, May 15th is going to be, you know, the date, but that of course could be pushed back depending on how things uh, progress. Obviously here in New York, we're all living closer together. Um, and, you know, in the outer boroughs, which have been hardest uh, hit, um, you know, a lot of families have been more impacted because we're seeing multi-generational family living with, you know, the, the parents living with the kids. And, you know, even though the kids are adults, um, sort of, uh, you know, either in the same apartment or in multifamily living. Um, so we're seeing the virus, uh, you know, travel a little bit more rapidly because of that, that lifestyle. Um, but I'm also speaking to people who are just living in apartments who have been impacted by it. Uh, a lot Absolutely. Of had, a lot of people had it, you know, a, a few months, a, a few weeks ago, um, uh, really sort of in early March, uh, people were saying that they had symptoms and some of them were tested, some of them weren't tested, but they're pretty confident that they had it. So, um, DJ, earlier you mentioned you know keeping the leads going. Um, so, can you talk to us a little bit about you know specifically what what lead generation methods you're using? Is it if it's online leads? Is it Realtor.com? Is it Zillow? Um, is it you know prospecting? Is it circle dialing? Okay, yeah, absolutely. So, we are heavy on Zillow. Uh, we are a, uh, you know, they've been a great partner to us for a long time. So we've been, uh, we've continued to expand with them. Um, I do also do, you know, Google pay-per-clicks and real, some realtor.com. Realtor.com also has been a great partner, but um, so really online portal generated leads um, and not, so my team does not do any sort of door knocking, prospecting, uh, not even, you know, we, with the capacity of lead a volume that we have coming in uh no open houses so really relying on on the people coming in and, and they stay really busy I, I and through this covid crisis have you know actually fortunately been able to keep continuing to have have the uh opportunity still coming in now obviously people are on different uh on where they are when they're coming but right. uh, surpri surprisingly i've also been been you know, being able to write some deals up and, and, and kind of uh, keep, keep the momentum going. Cause we're on a, a really good path in the spring market of, of just a crazy year. So. Sure. Um, and, and how are things looking for you in terms of, uh, you know, the ancient team in sort of July and February before the you know, coronavirus and COVID kind of set in? Meaning like on the trajectory? Yeah. How are you tracking sort of year over year? 
year over year, we were up by almost 40% and which was huge. And, and for us, we've been able to grow our business almost double every year and through this and just doubling down and doing what I said of just doing running plays that work all the time. But this year was, was definitely one of those years that was, that we had our expectations on definitely growing by another 75%. It was exciting. And I was talking with, uh, I was talking with Tom the other day, actually. And he asked me if, Hey, do you plan on readjusting your goals? And with the amount of people that I think, and depending, obviously it's, there's a lot of variables now in place. Like we don't, you know, what happens when we reopen. So if everything works out and, and as an optimistic person that it should, I'm hoping as a goal of 750, we can still, still get very close to it. So I'm, I'm keeping down the path that we can still hit our goals for this year. Wow. So that's 750 units, meaning oh, side by side. Yes. 750 transactions. And, and just remind me, how many members are on your team now? Uh, 23. Wow, that's incredible. So you're talking that's about getting you're talking about getting each me- each member of the team, each salesperson, up to somewhere in the 20 to 25 unit range. Yes. Yeah, so our my goal for my for our team is is between 25 and 30 unit productivity per agent, which that's, is that's predominantly buy side deals. Correct. And that's again from Zillow. Realtor? Realtor. Yep. Huh. That's that's wild. Congratulations. And you're expecting about two hundred million dollars in GCI from that. Yeah, and, and two hundred million dollars in sales volume sales volume out of that. Two hundred million dollars in sales volume. Yeah. Wish it was GCI. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll get there one day if you keep going on this on this uh, trajectory. So that's that's admirable. Um what have been some of your challenges? Because I know that uh, you and Lindsay came together when you did. You met in 2012, did you say? And then you decided to uh, form this partnership and open your own brokerage in 2013. Um, you know, obviously, you guys have, have grown tremendously uh, just in the last seven years. Um, what, what are some challenges sort of earlier on that you faced? So it's 2013 to 2015, let's say. So definitely when in the beginning, I was, Lindsay and I both were, were still in production. And I think what I quickly learned that it was really hard to, you know, have this goal of growing a team, but then also being able to service my, you know, my, my, my clients well, because, yeah, yeah so because you know, we built our business on that customer service side and I'm trying to, re, you know, relay that into my team members and, you realize really quick, it's hard to do both. So, um, you know, about a year in, we realized that, Hey, you know, we're going to take the, the leap and, 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 and trust the process and trust our team and, and trust our training methods. And, and we pulled ourselves out of production. And, and so that was, that was definitely hard and, and, and trusting the process and learning, you know, how to train, you know, how we do things and different things like that. So just the, the, the steady growing pains that we did, but we did it really slowly. Now, when I say we, we doubled every year, we did it on a very slow trajectory. And, and I'm fortunate enough to have, you know, Lindsay, my wife, she is an incredible operator and systems person. So she definitely has everything and continues every day. It's all she does is continue to dial everything and to as much as close to perfect as possible, but then it's technology and you have to change it. So being able to adapt really quickly. Got it. And 
at what point did you see this sort of you know, clear, almost parabolic point, uh, you know, in the last seven years? I mean, you know, mo most people that I'm in touch with, you know, do the sort of same thing day after day, you know, week after week, et cetera. Um, but it seems like, you know, you and Lindsay have, have continued to, as you put it, dial in, figure out what's working, running plays that work. But was there one point in the last seven years where you sort of hit this point where you felt your, your trajectory just kind of ratchet up a notch? Yeah, so um, I, I would say probably 18 months ago where we, we, you know, we grew from, almost, I think we got 10 agents at that point. We had the back end, you know, training available. We had a lot of systems in place and we, we've had all the documentations and everything ready to go. It was then that I said, hey, there's not much tweaking that I can do to this and let's let's just compound this and let's let's try to help as many agents as we can because the narrative out there a lot is it's tough and you know a lot of people are going through the same training of door knocking and you know doing a lot of the things and us running a different business we were able to get a lot of newly licensed agents or you know recently licensed agents that were with another brokerage and, and helping them create a, a great life for themselves to, to, to be able to come in and get their phone ringing almost immediately. So once I figured out like, Hey, I, I trust our process and the training that we were able to just continue to bring, bring people in. And, and it's been amazing. Yeah. I know a lot of the people that I, that I speak to in your position who've grown these teams and, and boutique brokerages. Um, one of the sort of pain points is, you know, a, a lead comes in, uh, you know, sort of jump ball or, you know, a rotation system uh, where multiple agents phone rings at, at the same time. Um, somebody gets the lead and then doesn't follow up with it. So how do you, how do you uh, determine, you know, what's happening with the lead once the phone rings? So we have a step-by-step -step process for everything. And I think what a, t a lot of team leaders kind of struggle with is, is staying to that accountability. And it's hard because when you're working side by side with, with a team and, you know, you, you form a great relationship with all of your agents and, and, and sometimes it's hard to continue to be like, Hey, we have to do these things. We have to do these things. And, and I've been able to really separate those two and just say, Hey, you know, I love you on this side, but you know, this is what we, this is what the expectations are. And, and just being non-negotiable with those expectations of this is what happens with a lead. If not, then, then that lead, unfortunately just needs to, to go to, to the next person, because again, let's put the consumer first. The consumer deserves that good experience of being able to know what they're going to get. So um, as, as it can be tough sometimes as a leader uh, it's, it's just really holding to that accountability side. And you mentioned, you know, making sure that the actions happen, uh, you know, that, you know, everyone on the team lives up to your expectations because they're centered around the consumer coming first, which is, I think, a, a phenomenal philosophy. But DJ, can you walk us through those actions? Absolutely. So lead comes in, we, we have a, a system of, of, four shifts throughout the day that people will, you know, agents will be answering those leads and, and they're broken up, you know, through specific uh, territories and zip codes that they live in and they're familiar with. Um, but they're answering the phone right away. They're um, talking with that consumer. They're going through scripts, dialogues, and, and finding out where they are and then placing them on the proper follow-up plan, depending on that person, whether it's a, an immediate appointment 
or because we live in Florida, if they're coming in three months um, of following up two, four, six weeks um, down the road. So we use Boomtown as a CRM. So there's there's to do's on there. So we yeah. set it to do. We set them up on a property search and and then we we have a, a system of follow up that just depending on where they are in their search. And how do you monitor uh, those actions on the on the back end? You mentioned Boomtown being your CRM choice, but you know, let's say you know you as the as the leader, um, you know, let's say you have you know uh, Tom, who's an agent on your team. Tom gets a call from Mary through a you know Zillow or one of your leads, mm -hmm. click or what have you. Uh, the lead comes in, and how do you monitor what? Uh, oh. So part of that is uh, Lindsay every you know, morning can, you know, with the cap with the capabilities of Boomtown, we're able to go on the back end, click on Tom, see, hey, this has been done, this hasn't been done. So it gives us a, a very quick snapshot of how many leads are or or not properly uh, kind of taken care of. So uh, just use utilizing technology and it's and using the data and and we're able to click on that and just kind of shoot shoot Tom Tom a text and be like, hey. Why isn't this done? Or, you know, sometimes you can't because of certain re reasons or they ask not to. And, and just, right. just being very, very uh, transparent and, and also there for the agents as, as asking them questions, because typically there's a reason. Have you found that uh, some of your agents aren't using the CRM, but they're still productive or still effective? No, unfortunately, we have to just go with it's it is kind of this model and this is what works. So everyone's kind of on the same cadence on, on everything uh, just because of the, you know, the, the spends on, on Zillow and these portals are, are very expensive. So I think, you know, just because of that, we have to make sure that it's it's done a certain way every time. Sure. Yeah. You mentioned Zillow again, and I know that that's a, it's sort of a core lead source for you. Uh, Zillow, of course, was in the news because with the uh, uh, volatility in the equity markets and uncertainty surrounding the pandemic, uh, Zillow uh, was initially shifting about a year or two ago to what we call the, the iBuyer. Um, and, and so Zillow, along with Open Door, Open Door, of course, was uh, funded largely through SoftBank, um, but they both basically at the same time came out with an announcement that they were pulling back from the iBuyer model. And in fact, they were canceling the uh, purchase agreements that they had with sellers on which they hadn't closed yet. So can you talk to us a little bit about that, uh, its impact on your business leading up to uh, the recent announcement and what you think they might do? Yeah, so the iBuyer, um, it wasn't it wasn't in our locate and in our region yet. So I, I you know, I've, I've read the same things that they were canceling, um, you know, so I can specifically talk about, you know, open door here. We actually have a few and have closed a few since then. So what I, what, what I think was happening is it, it was such a broad kind of thing that was going on and everything was happening so fast that it was really hard to dial in market to market. So I think, you know, sometimes we can talk about a, a you know, a whole approach, but um, I, I can speak specifically for our market. They kept, you know, open door because Zillow not being here kept, you know, did continue to market their properties and uh, and sell them. So um, in the future, I think that, you know, they're, they're going to, I think the thought was to see what happens with home values and the demand. And I think the, the inventory and lack of inventory in a lot of markets that, that, that the iBuyer seems to be working really well in. 
I think that because of the inventory that, that we're not going to see a dip in prices where people thought. And I think that honestly, now it might be a, a good time for iBuyer because people not wanting to, to go into people's houses or, or whatnot. And who knows, maybe it's, it's, maybe it's level and it's the same, but uh, we'll see. Right. Yeah. So I just want to make sure that I'm understanding what you're saying. Uh, you're saying based on the uncertainty, it would be a good idea to, to be the iBuyer. Right. And say, Hey, Mr. And Mrs. Smith, I see that you want to sell your house. It's great. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is it, it needs some work. And so that work is going to cost us, let's say, you know, $25,000. So we'll give you, you know, let's say the market is for your house, $189,000 less the $25,000. So that brings you down to about $164,000. Uh, and then course you're not paying commission and then we need some buffers so that brings us down to call it $150,000 which will give you for your house that ordinarily would trade for $189,000 in its current condition um, so um, they'll take advantage of that uncertainty by coming in and saying hey that house that you know we could get for 150 and do the improvements and sell it for 200 um, now is a great time to be the buyer do those improvements and then come back on the market once the sky is clear and actually sell it for two or maybe even 210, 220. Not a little bit, but I, I don't think it's that. I think that the, the consumer over the last four weeks has changed. I think the, I think a lot of people are embracing the technology and I think that the opportunities will kind of open up for, for the iBuyer because of that, that where people didn't know what Zoom was four weeks ago or all using Zoom. So now when you have an option to go online and possibly you know, get a value for your home, I think it's going to benefit them of getting, you know, getting more at bats for sure. I think then it's going to be on the consumer in their situation. If you read what I read, I know a lot of people are possibly hating where they're living right now and probably can't wait to get out of it fast enough. So I think it's, a, I think from a, an iBuyer standpoint, they're going to get more opportunities because more people are embracing the technology. I don't know necessarily think it might fit more people because of, of their, uh, their, what they need to net. It, you know, I just think it's, 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 It'll be interesting. Let's just put it that way. But I do think people will will definitely check it out and see what it what the offer will be. Awesome. And have you seen any specific impact of uh, the coronavirus on your market locally? Have you seen people that were uh, in agreements of sale that you know came back and renegotiated? Let's call it a COVID discount or um, or bailed out entirely because of what they perceived to be the uncertainty, particularly in the first three weeks of March with the equity markets going down every day? Yeah. So, you know, go, having gone through one, you know, the financial crisis in 08, I was, and I was just ready for a lot of fallout and, and thankfully we didn't have, I mean, we had a very limp, very few, no more, you know, we, we, because of the volume we do, we have, you know, typical, we'll have some cancellations for various reasons. <laughs> um, it did stall people coming down here. I mean, because, so many people coming and I, I was joking around with an agent. He's like, if, if a third of these people come that said they were, they were going to buy in, in June and July and August, and I'm going to have like 20 or 30 pending at one time. So I think the pent up demand of, because we have kept moving as, you know, talking with everyone every day, keeping on the prospecting and not, not necessarily prospecting, but checking in with them, keeping, keeping in front of their minds. So um, I think on the, yeah. 
So, yeah, I mean, on that side, so I, I do think it, it probably, you know, trimmed up some business that was going to come in. We didn't fortunately have any fallout, much fallout from it though. So that's great. No COVID discounts. So our pricing's pretty ha- held pretty steady. Huh. And, and so you're saying that there really hasn't been much fallout at all from coronavirus, aside from people pushing their plants back to come down. No, because I think what we've been able to do too is, is because we, you know, we're working virtually and, and because of Florida deemed us essential, we're still able to show houses. Um, I think a lot of, a lot of agents in our industry kind of furloughed themselves over the past six weeks. So I think we were able to take some of their market share because there are people here that are living in hotel rooms that needed to buy and possibly their agents might not have been as responsive. So we've been able to keep the pendings as uh, on par with what we would normally do. Wow. Okay. So it sounds like not quite at the rate that you're seeing in, in January and February, things slowed down a little bit, but you know, historically year over year, you've basically been neck and neck. Correct. You know, that that's that's interesting to hear, DJ, because you know, I'm speaking to people in in you know various regions around the country in this uh, Ruben special series, and you know, it's refreshing to me to know that you know activity in the housing market is alive and well. So for our viewers here in New York who are thinking, oh boy, this is gonna be sort of a mark to market situation like we saw in 2008 with corporate debt and a lot of restructuring in terms of housing, you know, peak to trough in in the better neighborhoods in Manhattan, uh, you know, we saw sort of a 20% discount. And so what you're saying and what other friends of ours are saying around the country is that activity is strong. And so that tells me that this may in fact be a V-shaped recovery. And so when we, when we open back up, yes, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty, but just as Jonathan Miller said yesterday, uh, he's one of the leading appraisers here in, here in New York, often quoted by the Wall Street Journal and featured on CNBC. Uh, he and I both agreed that following 2001 and the attacks of September 11th, there was a lot of uncertainty, but bidding wars and you know, tons of people at open houses returned virtually overnight. You know, once it was clear that the sky wasn't falling, everything was back to normal. We saw this surge in activity and, you know, we were, we were right back where we started. So that's almost what I'm forecasting here for our local market. Things are on pause because we simply cannot show apartments. A lot of buildings, there's a moratorium on showings and what they're deeming non-essential work, things like renovations. You buy an apartment, you might want to uh, paint, you might want to refinish the floors, put a new kitchen or baths in. Some buildings you can't even move into. So, you know, I'm thinking that once activity resumes, things are going to slowly return back to normal sometime between June, July, and August. And all those people who are on the sidelines, it's almost like a game of musical chairs. The music has stopped. Once it starts back up again, there may in fact not be enough chairs to go around. So people are going to be diving for that, you know, one or two homes that actually fit their criteria. And we're going to take a cue from markets like St. Augustine and the surrounding region and be back to normal. I know Miami is a little bit sluggish, but you know, again, I think it's gonna be we're pretty much back to normal. And you know, people are pretty elastic, right? Right. And I, and I think this has taught us all something that there's nothing more important than home and, and what we have in our homes and what people might want in their homes that currently own. And and if you if you know people were renting, being able to make it theirs, I just think it's it's you know, definitely humbled us and, and taught us, hey, 
home's important, our family's important, and uh, I do I do believe that it's going to have a V-shaped recovery because of because of that and because of the you know the the uncertainty I think is hopefully coming to an end. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, DJ, one one last question. Uh, you know, there's a there's a lot of talk about you know what it's like to work with a spouse. And, you know, some people feel I love my wife, you know, I love it when we go on vacation, I love spending time with her, um, especially when we get a, get away with, you know, with, without the kids. Um, you guys have the opportunity to, to get away without kids every day when you're in the office. Um, you know, but the dynamics of spending so much time with someone you love, um, obviously you're making different decisions at, at work than you are at home. How do you divide and conquer and, and how do you manage that aspect of your lives? So we've started this way. I mean, and people sometimes think we're nuts. I mean, we eat lunch together. We, we kind of do it all together. We'll go on showings if we have an appointment. So we do spend a lot of time together. What I think it's we from when we started, we, we weren't together at that time. But when we started, we focused on what we were good at. We really stayed in our own lanes and and. I'm a, you know, I'm a driver, she's operations. And, and because of, you know, it's, it's, it's like the perfect yang to, to the yang. And, and it's, you know, we're both obsessed with the same things. We both love real estate. We both love helping people. And, and together with that, it's, it's almost just, it would be weird, almost weird for us not to do it together. And people, you know, sometimes it works really well, but uh, because of, because of, I think our, our, different ways and different views and different things we like to do. It's just worked amazingly. Wow. So you're, uh, you're one of the fortunate few. I mean, I've known a couple people to do it here in the city together as husband and wife. Um, and, uh, you know, they did it well. Um, I personally tried it and, uh, you know, it, it uh, I, I certainly respect Kathy's opinion and, uh, you know, she's very good at providing advice, but, you know, we're not so good at spending, every waking moment together. Uh, the dynamics at, at, at home are much different than, than at work. And so, uh, you know, I have someone who I found to be uh, very complimentary to my work style. And uh, Lindsay Kurtz and I have been together for uh, seven or eight years. And I think it'll be eight years in October. We met uh, the weekend of Hurricane Sandy. Um, so she and I have worked together ever since and, and, and built our team together, but she and I are not married. So um, that said, uh, you know, it, it, it works well. So yeah. uh, I'm glad to hear uh, that you've had so much success, DJ. Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm sure that everybody enjoyed it. If anybody has any questions for DJ Della Sala with Ancient City Real Estate Guys, uh, he's in St. Augustine, Florida. A great vacation home market, great investment market, uh, fantastic returns. DJ and his wife have also owned investment properties in the surrounding area. Uh, so just uh, drop him a line. I'll make sure that uh, his contact details are posted in the comments below. And uh, we look forward to seeing you on Monday at noon for the next Ruben special. DJ, thanks again for joining us. DJ, thanks again for joining us.